Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the Week 10 college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You ready to talk me off uh, putting a bet in on your hogs? You text me this week. You say, what are you hearing from practice? I've never seen a more nondescript head coach in my entire life. Chad Morris comes out. Well, do you think uh, Do you think Jerry Jones' grandson's going to get the start? No, nah, maybe. We'll see. What about KJ Jefferson? You think he'll get have a play, uh, have, have a whole scheme, a whole set for him? Eh, maybe he'll be in there. I mean, he, he was so – he made one guarantee. He guaranteed we would beat Mississippi State, and that's it. And then he said everybody on the roster is available to play. Oh, and then, and then he redshirted a few players. So, I mean, it, it's been the craziest. Like, I can't get any specifics on who's playing in this game whatsoever. And for those that uh, are unfamiliar or first-time listeners, Colin is a Arkansas alum and fan. Well, fan, if you want to call him that. Some Arkansas fans would disagree. A self-loathing fan. But <laughs> Arkansas is catching seven and a half. They're on a big losing streak at home. So is Mississippi State. Mississippi State's been a dumpster fire. And really, you know, it's not that I want to bet Arkansas as much as I really just want to fade Mississippi State again. They've been in free fall mode. Their defense is a mess. I mean, it's just look at look at the NFL. You have guys, all those players and Jeffrey Simmons, who I love on the Titans, his presence is, is I mean, all their, they had three first round draft picks. Their defense isn't the same. Their offense is a mess. I think Moorhead's on the way out. It's just a team that uh, I, I want to fade. You know, go, going on the road again, I think it's their fourth road game since late September. They have a bye next in Alabama. It's a semi-flat spot. And so the, the question is with the Arkansas quarterbacks, and you don't want Starkle. And for what I'm seeing, that the other guys that we want in there, uh, what, Jerry Jones' grandson? Yeah, we want grandbaby. We're calling him grandbaby, by the way, from John Stephen Jones. He's been taking reps with the ones, so we hope he's the starter. He's the one that looks more solid, but maybe that's a result of him not having much playing time. But, uh, I mean, the fan base wants grandbaby. K.J. Jefferson, he's he's kind of got a hopefully like a Lynn Bowden Jr. type effect on the game. We'll see what that could do there. I mean, my thing with Mississippi State is that if you look at this losing streak that they're on, I mean, four straight losses, four straight against the spread that they haven't covered. Uh, last three games, I mean, they're they're minus seven in turnovers. So I'm not sure how much of it is self-inflicted versus, you know, like they actually got beat. I mean, it was about the same total yardage against Texas A&M. And, you know, they did get up 340 yards against LSU. So I really think it's been more self-inflicted as where Arkansas is just downright pathetic and incompetent, which is making people like me apathetic. Yeah, but I mean, Mississippi State's no matter how you slice it, I mean, Mississippi State's defense is still bad. I mean, I mean, this has to be one of the biggest drops we've seen in a long time. Last year, they led the nation in yards per play. This year, they're 114th at 6.4 yards per play. It's worse than Texas. Texas is one spot better. I believe that's the worst of any 
power five team not named Colorado or Vanderbilt. Uh, so the defense <laughs> has gone from number one to number 114. It's been bad. But, all right, I, I think I'm going to end up playing Arkansas. I'll wait for a little more intel or see if that line budges because I really do want seven and a half, which is where it's sitting everywhere. Uh, but enough mm-hmm. about Arkansas. Uh, let's give the people what they want. Uh, we'll start off like we did last week with the marquee games of the week. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 10. There's not a ton this week. Now, we don't really care what the card looks like. And it is a shorter card. I think there's 47, 48 games. A bunch of yep. teams on a buy, especially your more marquee teams. And there's going to be next week, There's if you're into marquee games, we have uh, a few next weekend. Namely, Penn State, 8-0. At Minnesota, 8-0. That's a top 15 matchup. Iowa at Wisconsin a top 20 matchup. And then, of course, the big one, LSU at Bama uh, next Saturday, one versus two. Uh, so that should be a treat in Tuscaloosa. We'll be covering that heavily all week. Uh-huh. Uh, but this weekend, look, Penn State is a buy, which means I can't lose money fading them, which is always a positive. I'd mark down here two marquee games of the weekend before we go through each conference we'll then get into our underdog money line parlay our favorite overdog uh we'll also cover uh, friday night lights and there's only one friday night game this week uh but don't worry we're gonna get into tuesday night action and wednesday that all starts next week uh with november coming up uh so let's start with the first marquee game of the weekend and that's the large the world's largest cocktail party georgia versus florida for those that don't know some people say we can't call it that anymore uh uh, but Georgia's a six, six and a half point favorite over Florida. Over under has come down from 47 to 44. Uh, for, this is in Jacksonville. Uh, for those that don't know, the name, the world's largest cocktail party, was coined by a reporter who was there covering the game. This is way back. And he saw you know, a stumbling drunk college kid uh, try to offer a drink to a uh, police officer on duty and that's where he coined the name from. That's where we get the name. It still holds on this podcast. Uh, but Georgia and Florida both coming off buys, they're, which were important to both teams. They're both going to get some key players back. Uh, Florida, namely, will get back Zuniga and Grenard. They're two of their best defensive linemen and pass rushers. Uh, they they missed them as soon as they went out. They didn't have either against LSU and uh, against South Carolina as well. And Tony, they get back as well, who's one of the most explosive players. Uh, he should be back. Georgia, it's more 50-50, but it looks like at least their corner, Tyson Crawford, will be back. That's big. And then Lawrence Cager, their wide receiver, is you know, one of Fromm's favorite targets. He's 50-50 as well, but he's been practicing. I think both are going to go. This is a huge game in the SEC. What are you seeing here in Georgia, Florida? Yeah, I know. I knew that this would be. We said this on the podcast on Sunday night that this would be a big tug of war uh, on the power number between people taking Florida at six six and a half, and then people buying on Georgia once it got too low. Once we were finished that podcast, Georgia got down to minus three and a half. Woke up the next morning and I was able to get my own bet in on Georgia minus four as we have this power rated at Georgia minus seven at the Action Network. And after that, it just took off. It's been, you know, big money on Georgia, 
smaller bets on Florida. And that's really kind of been the action that it's gone through the entire week. The reason why I put in a couple units on Georgia and I had no problem doing it and I'm going to wrap them up with a couple other money lines this week. Nobody in, in the world of broadcast TV is giving Georgia, you know, a good name here. Everybody's kind of throwing them under the bus, calling them, you know, trash. And they're all back in Florida based upon the LSU game. But I mean, Georgia's allowed just one opponent to reach 20 points this year. That was the loss against South Carolina where there was a pick six. I mean, the Gamecocks only had an 8% postgame win expectancy in that game. So it's not like they really dominated Georgia there. But Florida got worn out by Joe Burrow uh, by the end of that game. They had kept up with them, but there was three touchdowns by LSU in the end. Uh, And the Gators were just one-dimensional. And I think that's where it plays into the handicap here. Their one dimension is they can pass the ball. Trask can pass the ball, no problems. But they have no running game whatsoever. So I think Kirby's going to sell out to stop the pass. And I mean, Florida's 13th in pass completion, but they're 114th in rushing success rate. Why even defend the rush when they're that terrible of a team when it comes to running the ball? So Georgia's going to sell out against the pass where they're 12th in opponent passing success rate. So they're they're going to be able to eat them up on that side of the ball. Now, the other side, Georgia offensively will have a ton of success on the ground. Florida's defense is 55th in line yards. They're 60th in stuff rate. I know you're talking about how their defensive line is getting healthy and getting some players back. And I mean, that should help against the rush and passing downs against Jake Fromm. But there's just so many things in this that point to Georgia winning this game. Florida's 57th in Havoc allowed. Georgia's only fourth in Havoc allowed. So the team that's going to protect the ball is going to be the Bulldogs. Georgia's 15th in third down conversion rate. Florida, nowhere close. Georgia's first an opponent red zone scoring this season. You get into the red zone, Georgia's the team you don't want to be going against. They're only allowing 2.73 points per trip in the red zone. So I know that they're having wide receiver problems. I know the current wide receivers can't create space and they can't get downfield. And Fromm is not, you know, he, there's a connection between him and the wide receivers isn't working. But in this, where Florida's offense is a one-trick pony, Georgia's going to be able to beat them and cover. I see the game pretty similarly as you. And now getting Cager back could help. When he went down um, against South Carolina, I mean, mm-hmm. the difference in their passing efficiency just absolutely plummeted. Before he was hurt, Fromm was 11 of 16. After he was hurt, he was 17 of 35 with three picks. So they clearly have chemistry. And there, there is, a, there is you know, the Georgia offense is lacking explosiveness, right? And on defense, they lack a little havoc you know they, they don't have that guy who's yep. gonna the game that game changer but across the board they're a really good defense now they haven't played a ton but you know against the pass and especially with campbell coming back they are rock solid they're rock solid against the run you're right florida can't run the ball they can't run the ball at all and i don't think that they're going to be able to pass if you know with the, against this georgia secondary and the other side of the ball you know i think Florida getting their pass rushers back will help, like you said, in passing down situations. And Florida has a solid secondary as always. But where they're vulnerable is running up the gut. Well, Georgia has arguably the best offensive line in all of college football. I think they rank number one in line yards, number one in standard down line yards, just across the board, number two in opportunity rate, number four in stuff rate. This, This offensive line gets a push. And you can run up the middle on Florida. And this is all we've seen from Georgia is, you know, this very conservative game script. And I think here it will work. And I think that there was a little bit of them sleeping over the past month or so. You know, I called that out before October. I said, look, Georgia has, you know, on on, the, on their minds, they might say, look at our October. Who cares? We'd have to wake up after the bye for Florida. And it ended up biting them. I mean, they were a little unlucky against South Carolina. But we haven't seen the best version of Georgia yet. But their defense is rock solid. I think they're just going to run the ball. And I don't see Florida moving the ball. And you make a great point about the red zone in that, 
you know, Florida has great receivers, you know, up there, top five set of receivers, especially when you include Kyle Pitts, their tight end, who's more of a hybrid tight end receiver. And, you know, they can move the ball through the air and they'll move it a little bit against Georgia. But when they get down in the red zone, again, Georgia is number one, like you said, and they and Florida can't run the ball, which hurts in the red zone. So even if they drive down the field, I think they're going to be settling for field goals. That's why I like the under. I played under 46. I think it's down to 44 and a half. Um but I think this is, you know, tw- ends up being 24-13-ish Georgia. Um, I lean Georgia as well. Um, I think that their defense is going to shut down Florida. And I think <clears throat> they're just going to – they can drive up and down the field by handing it off and just pounding up the middle against Florida. And that's going to keep the clock running. I think I think it's important for Georgia futures. Like I, I, we did a piece on the Action Network about projecting the the four teams for the college football playoff, and I went through Georgia's schedule and I said, "Listen, I, they're going to beat Florida, and then it's going to be about a pick 'em or maybe minus one against Auburn at Auburn, and that game is going to be a slow grind. It's going to be an ugly, nasty game that I think Georgia will end up winning." But what Stuck just said about how the defense isn't producing enough havoc for the talent that they have and that the offense is not producing any explosive plays, that ultimately could be the end of them in the SEC championship game. But we got to see who wins between LSU and Alabama before we start handicapping that. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, let's move on to the other marquee game of the weekend, and that is between Washington and Utah. Look, on the surface, Washington doesn't have anything to play for. You know, they're sitting at 5-3 and three on the year. Utah's 7-1, and one, still in the college football playoff discussion, you know, still in the Pac-12 title discussion. They also have revenge from last year. They lost twice to Washington. And, mm-hmm. you know, they lost in the regular season and then a Pac-12 championship. Their offense did nothing in either game. But, you know, this is Washington at home against a top 10 team off of a bye. I don't want to hear about any motivation issues. They're going to be ready and they're going to be up for this game. I took three and a half with Washington. I saw that you did, too. I think this is yep. more, just like the Oregon game. I know that Oregon came back and covered, but I think that this is just like that. And this is more of a coin flip. You know, Washington has had trouble with. You know, there's two things that they really struggle with when, you know, Eason gets under pressure. But Utah really sticks to how they play defense. They're going to play man. They're going to rely on their front four. They don't blitz a ton. And I think they're going to, you know, they showed how they just stick to their scheme against USC and end up biting them. But Washington has one of the best offensive lines in college football. So I don't think you're going to see Eason under pressure a ton. I think that they can efficiently move it, especially if they get some of their receivers back. Uh, Aaron Fuller, namely, and it looks like he will. He's been practicing. It's so hard to get injury updates in college football. I think I last time I read was week to week, <laughs> week to week, but he's playing. I, I don't know, but he's they, likely to play. But, uh, you know, and the big question on the other side of the ball is Washington's run defense, and which has been poor for a lot of the year, but it did look a lot better against Oregon. You know, you have Chris Peterson here with two weeks to prepare, and th- there's two other X factors that pushed me over the edge to bet Washington here. And I hope what well, Utah wins by three for our Pac-12 futures. You know, Tyler Huntley's not fully healthy. 
And, you know, the, he's not as mobile as he needs to be. And, you know, his mobility is an asset in that offense. So it then comes down to, you know, can you stop the run and the Utah run heavy offense? And I think that, you know, without Huntley's mobility, it's going to limit them on third down situations. And it'll be easier for Washington, you know, to just game plan against the more basic runs. And then the other thing, which is crazy for me to say, is special teams. For, I don't know, the last 10 years, Utah's had one of the best special teams units in all of college football. Perennially, it's just Uh like, hey, the Utes have one of the best special teams units in all of college football. They usually have a a punter that's on the Ray Guy list. They have a kickers on the Lou Groza Award list. um, And they've won it multiple times. But this year, you know, they lost a lot of guys on special teams. And Washington, by the way, was on the other end of the spectrum. Their special teams have been horrid. But this year, it has been a complete 180. And on, you know, some mid-season All-American lists, you had Washington's kicker. Henry was the first-team All-American kicker midway through the season. Overall, the Washington special teams, you know, I think if you look at S&P, Washington is the number one rated special teams team in the nation, and Utah is 78. Shocking for how these two teams usually are. So that could play a major role as well. So Huntley not being fully healthy, Washington getting some receivers back, two weeks to prepare, you know, with their run defense looking a little better against Oregon, and then the special teams edge, uh, it's just, uh, that's what put me over the top here to take the home dog. Catching three and a half, and I think you're getting some value just because, you know, they're five and three, unranked, and you people see Utah, you know, top 10 in the nation, and Utah's just been obliterating teams, but this is a step up. Uh, and on the road in one of the toughest places to play in college football. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you on the special teams, you know, especially from the aspect that I don't think Washington has missed a field goal yet this year. Uh, I think their punting yards is in the top 40, and they're they're only allowing like one yard on a punt return, which is top 10. So there's a lot of things going on there. I, I agree with you in taking the Washington. The Washington for me to that I hit earlier in the week, it, it you know, uh, is, is just based upon a lot of the things you said. Huntley is not going to be able to get outside the tackles, and he's not going to be able to, to make plays because he's been a little bit hobbled. The whole thing is, is I hope that we don't have to get to that point. I'm really kind of in between here, right? I need Utah to win this game badly. I'm in, my investments in Utah and, and their Pac-12 futures are pretty large, but on a game, you know, on a single game basis, Washington defensively is 88th in line yards, meaning Zach Moss should have success running the ball. And that sets up uh, Huntley, you know, to hit these underneath crossing routes that he's really good at hitting. But, you know, if he's flushed from the pocket and he's forced to beat you know, Washington from outside the tackles, uh, it's not going to be good news for Utah. <laughs> I mean, Utah's defense has been outstanding. If you look on the other side of the ball, Utah's defense, you know, they're third in line yards, they're eighth in stuff rate, and Washington's But that Washington O-line is right up there. Yeah, no, they're not They're not good at just protecting Eason. They're one of the best protecting Eason. They're also 22nd in line yards, and they're 26th in stuff rate. So that's really where I think the biggest battle is going to happen in this game, and the winner of that is probably going to win the game. So it, for me, I'm going to take it out on Washington plus three and a half. Market-wise, anytime this number is touched four, uh, it's been hit hard immediately with a lot of money and come back down to three and a half. I don't think we're going to see four ever again. To me, this is uh, this is a, a single play on Washington for me. Uh, holding tight. Hopefully Utah wins this game by one, two, or three. And, and that's how I'm going to play it. But I'm also somebody that has a whole lot on Utah futures. So if I didn't have any Utah futures whatsoever, I would probably play Washington for a little bit less. Yep. Um, good points there. And we'll be talking. We'll, we'll have a very in-depth 
betting guides for each of these games. We'll also cover them on our Saturday morning show, uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern every Saturday. Uh, we tweet out, we'll tweet out the link. So if you follow us on Twitter, at Stucky2 and at underscore Colin1 with two L's. We'll, we'll be updating any injuries that we have and uh, talking about those games in the entire card and any movements and weather, the whole shebang. All right, before we go through conference by conference and pick out a few games that we either bet or intrigue us a little bit, we have to talk about, well, we have to bring back a segment that we haven't had in a while, and that's FCS yeah. or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. So, the, during the middle of the season, we kind of lack the FCS, FBS matchups. We get them in the beginning of the year. We'll get some towards the end of the year, especially on that SEC weekend when the SEC plays. It's one of my favorite weekends. But the entire SEC seems to play a FCS team, um, and they're all, you know, 40 45 point favorites but we have one this weekend with clemson you know clemson and their brutal schedule they have another tough one this weekend against wofford and it's pretty funny in that you know you can't even tell the difference between the clemson spreads in conference and versus uh the fcs teams now granted they're a little higher but still clemson here is a 46 and a half point favorite over under 58 down from 59 and a half Against Wofford, the Terriers, they're an FCS team. Now, they were pure triple option, but they're transitioning a little bit to more of a spread. <laughs> you know, a 3-3-5 is vulnerable against the option. And so if they're running pure triple option, maybe Wofford can, it's the great equalizer, can have some success. But mm-hmm. I probably will end up staying away here. But you have a position on the total, right? I do. Yeah, the total opened up 59 and a half. And uh, immediately I started looking into this game because I know, you know, Wolford being an in-state college or and close to Clemson. I wonder if Dabo's kind of in the mindset of taking it easy on little brother there in, in, in the state on the FCS level. So what Stuck is kind of referring to that they used to be triple option and that they're still an option team. I have to do a shout out to the, t- to the Terriers uh, Twitter account. If you guys go to like... Uh, Wofford, Wofford football, like uh, their Twitter handle. Amazing amount of video. I, I don't know what intern or what college kid is running their Twitter account, but it's just so much video. And so I got to watch essentially the entire Wofford uh, uh, Chattanooga game just off of the Twitter handle last week. So what Stuck is talking about, about what used to be a triple option is there's always three running backs on the field and there's a lot of pre-snap motion and, and they've got a guy going here and they got a guy going there, but it's still going to be a thing where they're in space and the quarterback has going to have at least more of the one option. Uh, he's going to have at least two options after he keeps the ball, no matter what formation they're in. It turns into some sort of way where he's got at least two decisions to make. So looking at that, I started diving into the FCS stats. They're second in FCS in rushing. They're fourth to last in the FCS in passing. So passing the ball, I mean, it's just not a thing that's you know in their DNA. Brand new second them, in- yeah. Yeah, brand new. They're second in time of possession in FCS. Technically not a triple team, but just like a triple option team, they're really good at taking long stints of of having drives that take a lot of time off the clock. I expect this to be a game where hopefully at some point, you know, Wofford's going to be able to go out there and get some first downs, be able to take some off the clock. I expect Trevor to get his 175 yards, four touchdowns before everybody's kid, the Venables kid, the Herb Street kid, all the kids are in playing. 
And I mean, this is an in-state school that just came off of an overtime win against Chattanooga. So how efficient are they going to be? I just, I think everything to me points to the under and then not saying that I base the play on this whatsoever, but I went out to Sagarin ratings, but Sagarin does a great job of mixing FBS and FCS power ratings, uh, point spreads and totals. And their total was 49. So obviously this was about 10 points higher than what Sagarin would project it at. So considering that Wofford likes to take a whole bunch of time off the clock and that Clemson might not be in a, in a mood to run up the score, I think the under is the play. This thing is going to move. It's going to move really fast. It's low limits. It's going to move fast. So, you know, 56 is obviously a key number. You want to have your, your totals, you know, come in your divisions of seven. So, you know, 56 and then maybe 52 because of 49 to field goal. So keep that in mind when you're looking at your totals. Fair enough there. And the other thing to keep in mind with these these teams that are potentially playoff bound at the FCS level, whether it's late in the season or the midseason, and they're playing someone that they know they can't beat, that there's no reason at all to show anything or play anybody. I've seen some of these FCS teams where they'll bench their quarterback, be like, all right, let's get paid and get out healthy. So that would also help the under as well if Wofford takes that approach. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the rest of the slate, FBS slate, that is, and we'll go through conference by conference alphabetically. We'll start in the AAC, Tulsa and Tulane. I'm going back to the well with Tulsa. This team continues to be undervalued as an underdog. They can never win these games. You know, they even blew it against SMU uh, as 12-point underdogs. They were 12-point underdogs at SMU. Now, 10 and a half underdogs at Tulane, but they should have won that game. I mean, it ended up going to overtime. You know, they didn't cover against Navy, but as I said all week, they, that 3-3-5 against Navy, Navy shreds them every single year. It's a horrible matchup. They covered as a dog at Cincy. You know, they covered as a dog against Memphis last week and almost won the game. Against Oklahoma State earlier in the year, they were up in the second half, and Oklahoma State broke a run running out the clock. So this team continues to outperform, and I think it's just because of their record, but their defense, their offensive line is bad. They are undisciplined, but their defense plays well. They'll hit enough plays on offense to stay competitive. The other factor here, also Tulane always comes out slow every single game, and they might come out really slow this week. Uh, luckily, they came back and got us a cover against Navy last week. Um, but that, Tulane has to be devastated. I mean, this team had all of the optimism in the world after that huge start. They were going to Memphis, and they got blown out, 47-17. Next week, they're at Navy. Still have a shot in the AAC in that division, but you have to win that game. And they lose it on a 50-yard Navy field goal as time expired if they're coming all the way back. So now they come home for Tulsa. They still are playing for bowl eligibility. I mean, they need one more win. They have four more games left. It's not the easiest schedule, but this screams flat spot for just a really disappointed Tulane team. And they have their running backs. They have injuries in their backfield as well. Um, so I'm going back to the well with Tulsa as a double-digit dog. Anything there for you? I completely agree. The only reason I didn't pay attention to this line all week is because I had it set at 12 and a half and it was lower. So, I mean, anything that would have got to 13 would have got my attention. But the cases that you make for Tulane and the reasons, you know, for them not being in this game, ball game, I'm just now realizing that Tulane is heading into a bye after this. So how much do they, you know, want to put up a, a big score, put in a whole bunch of effort here when they might be struggling, you know, just with ball bumps and bruises and the physicality of their schedule just to get into a bye week uh, against a Tulsa team here. And, you know, we said this last week, the reason we like Tulsa, you know, they're covering and they're keeping it within one score and they're, they're keeping it close against teams that are predominantly good at the pass. 
Uh, Tulsa is 15th in the country in opponent passing success rate. And, you know, Tulane can can do both. I mean, they can run and pass, but, uh, you know, they're going to be able, Tulsa's going to be able to take that uh, that aspect, the passing aspect away from Tulane, which is going to give more value to the double-digit number. And I can see right now that this is heading to 10, and, and, and it may pick up and even get into single digits. So uh, I like that. I'm probably going to be joining you. Yeah, and Tulsa has two home games after this, and then, you know, and then they're at ECU to close the year. One of the home games is UCF. But the other hit games are against Houston and ECU, which are winnable. So this is their last shot. At, they're two and six at, at any hope of mm-hmm. getting to a bowl. Right? So if they lose this game, they're not going to a bowl. Uh, if they win it, they have a shot. Um, so you know this team continues to fight, which I like. Um, the other you know, big game in the AAC, which almost qualified as a marquee game, uh, is between SMU and Memphis. Uh, undefeated SMU at 8-0 uh, at Memphis, who's 7-1. and um, Memphis here is a up to a 5.5-point favorite. I remember tweeting out when this came out, this line is going to move. This line is wrong at Memphis minus 3. But I just think Memphis is the better team, especially with Roberson, one of their best receivers, SMU's best receivers, I don't think he's going to play. But Memphis, look, I think that this line opened at three just because SMU is undefeated at 8-0. But if you really look at it, SMU should have lost to Tulsa. And they could have easily lost. I mean, it was a miracle win. Miracle. And they could have easily lost to Houston. But they won those games. Credit to them. But they're 8-0. You know, they're number 15 in the country. And then Memphis, 7-1. and But the only game they lost was against Temple in a game that they had no business losing outright, at least. You know, in that game, they had, I think they had three turnovers early on. They outgained Temple in that game, 492 to 456, over a yard per play better. Um, so that's why I thought you were getting initial value with Memphis. The loss of Roberson is big. Memphis is rolling. This team is legit. Um, I think they get this win at home in the Liberty Bowl. I like it up, you know, up, up to six, I'd play it. There's something about SMU that bothers me. I, I'll get I'll get to that. But you're completely right. SMU is living on borrowed time. Uh, you know, these one possession victories against Houston, against Tulsa, against TCU, their net turnovers in those games was plus five. So you can say that there's just been a little bit of luck has been on their side with the way that the ball has bounced. And if you look at the advanced stats, you know, Memphis is going to have a lot of advantages here. They're 28th in rushing explosiveness, something SMU is around 90th in defending. Uh, you know, Memphis is fifth in passing explosiveness, something SMU is 66th at. Uh, so there's a lot of things in, in the what's going to happen in between the goal lines that's going to really favor Memphis with an explosive offense. So Memphis is a complete team and they should get the win here. The thing that just really bothers me about SMU is that they're 11th in Havoc and they're 20th in Havoc allowed and Memphis is on the other end of the spectrum in those categories. So there's a thing with this number where I knew it was going to rise like you. I knew it was going to take off and it was going to go up and I just kind of had this feeling that at some point either I'm going to be contrarian in the fact that I'm going to take the last SMU number out there no matter how far this steams or I'm going to take an under on this game which I project to be about 64. I think think over 71 is a little bit too much considering you know some of the things that uh, these teams won't have at their advantage. So I'm going to be go ahead and, and I'm going to wait for both numbers to steam and I'll make a decision. But more than likely, I think I'm going to have an under on this game. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's move on to the Big 12. And it is, you know, we have West Virginia Baylor tonight, um, but it's one of the worst Big 12 slates you'll see. There's only three games, uh, two on Saturday. TCU at Oak State. If you can figure out Oak State, God bless you. It looks like Tylen Wallace is out for the year with a torn ACL. Not confirmed yet, but pretty good sources saying that. But that line's down to two and a half. And then Kansas State, Kansas. Kansas State, minus five and a half, minus six at Kansas. 
I took Kansas plus six, and you do have a slight hangover effect after that win for for Kansas State. This is a huge game for Kansas after two straight wins. Trying to get to bowl eligibility could be a huge game for Puka and the rushing attack and that new explosive offense for Kansas. What do you see uh, in either one of those games or both? Uh, Kansas is me right now because I'm about to go to Vegas. I'm just going to be at the craps table or the blackjack table. I'm just going to let it roll. If I get a hot streak, I'm just going to let it roll. And I think that's what Kansas football is right now. Kansas State may be hungover from a game against Oklahoma. I mean, they're very well coached, so we don't really know how they're going to respond in such a huge win. Uh, you know, But Kansas is still putting up yards, 1,100 yards over the past two weeks. And the Jayhawks are explosive. They're 27th in rush explosiveness. They're 18th in pass explosiveness. Kansas State is 128th in opponent rush explosiveness. Puka Williams, if you're been on any fantasy college fantasy teams or you're going to get into you know uh, some some daily fantasy stuff and pull a running back I'd pull Puka Williams but as far as handicapping this game I mean the number is about where I thought it was the projected total is about where I thought it was I think Vegas is starting to wake up to what Kansas is doing offensively I think they have adjusted the numbers correctly I'm the hot guy at the craps table right now and I'm playing over in Jayhawks until I lose all right let's move on to the big 10 I mean uh I'll this is a really gross big 10 slate um, you know, you have Nebraska minus three and a half at Purdue. I have no interest there. I'm probably going to end up playing Rutgers. Oof. Uh, Illinois off back-to-back wins as double-digit underdogs. I mean, last week they were nine and a half, but somewhere around there. And then they beat Wisconsin. And now, now I think that they're just a little inflated in the market. And Rutgers, you know, we talked about Snyder being available if they need him. But Langan finally got some confidence last week against Liberty, which I think will go a huge way. I just think this line is way overinflated. Uh, I think it should be closer to two touchdowns at 20, and especially if we get 21, I will be all over Rutgers. It's gross, I know, but we were there last week as well. Northwestern Indiana. Mm. Cats, cats. It's the first night game at Memorial Stadium in, what, 55 years, and they have to watch the Northwestern offense. I mean, Northwestern has to be the best under team in the history of Power Five conferences. They just have a really yep. good defense, and they cannot move. They can't get a first down. So that over under is crashed. It's down to forty four. I think it's under or nothing in that game. Although you've lost a lot of value now, crossing from forty seven to forty four. Then we have Michigan, Maryland. Michigan laying twenty one at Maryland. Maryland, all kinds of injuries. I mean, I, this is a mess. It's the you know you have two coaches, Loxley and, and the offensive coordinator, are familiar with each other. I know you have an angle on that. What do you like in Terps Wolverines? Yeah, before we get to that, I think the the Rutgers game is interesting. That I mean, they were able to push the Liberty around in the trenches on both sides. It was a really good watch. It should be able. It should be fun to see if they carry that over. And and remember, this is the last. I w- I don't want to say easy game, but this is the last time that Rutgers can be competitive in a game. I mean, their remaining schedule is just murderers row between Penn State, Ohio State, uh, I think Michigan. I think that's how they're closing out the season. So I mean, this is it. If I was if Rutgers wins the out, team, they go to a bowl. By the way, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm about fell out of my chair. I, I know it's a huge spread, but it's a this is the last time they're going to be able to be competitive. And don't forget that they got that highly touted recruit, uh, the Snyder kid at quarterback. And this may and they've saved his red shirt enough that he can get some experience in this game. So I, I actually like Rutgers in that one too. But I'm going to you know flip over to a very ugly, gross. I didn't want to play it, but I have to play it because the numbers out of control. Uh, I see the spot, I see the angle, all this other junk, and that has to do with Michigan and Maryland. The Mike Loxley, Josh Gaddis angle is I'm not sure how it plays into the game. Other than the fact that I think Mike Loxley, head coach for Maryland, is going to be more focused on both sides of the ball of getting the best that he can get out of his team in this game because his relationship with his former assistant, 
Josh Gaddis, who's the offensive coordinator at Michigan, has deteriorated since they both left Alabama last year. There was a little bit of a dust up in August. First, I don't even know who started it, but you know, Josh Gaddis saying, I designed the plays. Mike Loxley might have called the plays, but I'm the one that designed the plays. We all know, you know, who Monday through Friday, who it was in the in the meeting room, in the offensive uh, coaching staff meeting room, who it was designing the plays. And Loxley, you know, only retorted with there's a difference between designing the plays and then being the one that makes the decisions that actually call the plays. Uh, and so I don't think these two are mincing words. I, they just do not like each other, not even being you know nice about it. So I think you're going to get a full effort focus out of Mike Loxley as to where Michigan, you know, they're coming off two primetime games, uh, loss against Penn State, huge win against uh, Notre Dame. Uh, so we could find them flat in what is a noon kick uh, on the road here. And remember, Michigan's just not the same team on the road as they are at home in these kind of games. At home, they bully people around. They beat them by a whole bunch of points. That's just not what Michigan has ever been on the road when they've been in this spot as a big favorite. Maryland is getting healthy. Their left guard, Terrence Davis, is back. Their star running back, Anthony McFarland, he's 100%. And you got to remember Josh Jackson coming in the game last week. The, the game plan and the scheme wasn't built for him last week. He had to come in uh, this week. He's getting all the reps with the first string. I, I made this game Maryland plus 19. So once it got to 21 and a half, and I don't think it's done moving, I think 21 and a half is going to be widely available for everyone I'm looking at the market right now. So I would just kind of hang out and uh, uh, grab the hook on this. But Michigan could run 300, 400 yards on the ground against this Maryland front seven. I understand that, but how badly do they want to do that in this game? And how focused has Loxley been on coaching his team up this week? The only thing that scares me in that game, why I might not be getting involved, <clears throat> I mean, Jackson still, he just looks lost. He is so shook. He has no confidence right now. Some of the throws <laughs> he makes what happened are to that so kid? bad. I don't know. Maryland is one of these teams this year that's just, they go out and they'll just roll some shitty team that they're better than. And then anytime they play a team at the pulse, they get smashed. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what's happened to them against anybody. But you make some good points there, and, and it, it does appear that there's some value in the number. Um, all right, let's move on to the Conference USA. Oof, you want to talk about an ugly Conference USA slate, and, and the Conference USA slate is usually ugly. Um, we have UTEP. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. UTEP catching 23 at North Texas. Uh, no, thank you. If there's a team yeah. that UTEP can beat, I think it might be North Texas. North Texas is really bad. Like, they are really bad. I don't know. We'll see. Marshall laying 10.5 at Rice. I'm tempted by Rice again, but I'm just absolutely devastated still from how they didn't cover last week. Can I throw a shout-out to our to, to podcast friend Brett McMurphy real quick? He put out this great article about uh, the band that the, all the head coaches listen to, like the music that they're into and like what their top band is that they listen to. Did you see what Doc Holliday's is? No, he doesn't have one. He like doesn't listen to music at whatsoever. He was the only one on the list. He like he said, I, I don't listen to music. It was the cra- it was like you and I have talked about how conservative Holiday is, but the fact that he responded like he's the only coach he responded like I don't listen to music at all. That's hilarious. I did not see that. I got to look that up. It's a gross conference USA slate, but you know we have UAB Tennessee. Tennessee is laying twelve at home to UAB, and UAB is six and one, and Charlotte. Catching three and a half now at home against Middle Tennessee State is fairly interesting for two, three, and five teams. It's an important game for both. Do you see, what do you see in the Conference USA? Yeah, I'm going to go with Charlotte uh, again this week. I'm going to write them. I, I mean, they they 
should have covered the game last week. I'm glad they did, but they won outright, which is one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen Rare. down 35. Yeah, 35-21 in North Texas. Uh, I think people don't realize that the 49ers are ninth in explosive rush with Benny LeMay, but they're also 37th in explosive pass. So this offense can get it done. That's just a trade of their head coach, Healy, that they got from Austin P. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's going to be probably Colin running around in March and April, uh, probably looking for Charlotte Futures. Uh, uh, be one of the weird people out there while baseball starts back up. I'll be looking for hitting 49ers futures in, in Conference USA. But both teams are three and five. They're in survival mode for bowl season. Middle Tennessee's, uh, you know, with with Asher O'Hare, uh, they had a couple other running backs, I think, hit 100 yards last week. Uh, really pathetic game from Florida International. Didn't even show up in the second half in a, a storm. You'd think being from Miami that you'd be able to play in rain. But uh, Middle Tennessee State's defense are 107th against the rush, 113th in passing success rate on defense. Uh, that's just not going to get it done against this 49ers offense. Uh, Charlotte's going to have every opportunity to have a successful play. And when Charlotte gets successful plays, they turn into huge plays. Middle Tennessee State on defense is dead last and sack rate dead last in the nation. I think Charlotte's going to be able to, if they can, you know, put some drives together and, and get some success rate of their own going. I mean, we know they can be explosive, but they need to be able to string things together. But, I mean, you just watch a couple of the, the plays from last week against North Texas. This Charlotte offense is gelling right now. They, they, they're they able to score on anyone. I think they're going to do it against Middle Tennessee. You gelling? You gelling? I'm surprised this line has gone across <laughs> the three. I'm yeah. Sorry, I'm going to have to look at Charlotte with you. Uh, anything in Vols? Vols uh, UAB? Your boys in Birmingham? I, I wrote about that earlier in the week uh, in our Havoc piece uh, that I wanted UAB pretty bad. Uh, it was one of the biggest discrepancies this week in, in, uh, in college football as far as the Blazers, uh, the ones that are be able to bring the Havoc going up against Tennessee, frankly is in some sort of conference sandwich and may not care about this game whatsoever. UAB, fifth in the nation in Havoc, Tennessee 99th in Havoc allowed. Now, I know a lot of that is quarterback play and some of the mistakes that they've made in the past, but UAB is able to uh, assert their will on defense. I mean, this Bill Clark as a head coach is fantastic. Circa opened up this line at 13 and then everybody else opened it up at 11 and it dipped down to nine and a half at one point before everybody started buying into Tennessee. As I'm looking across the landscape right now, massive amount of 12 and a halves out there. I'm going to sit. I'm going to be patient as an investor. I'm going to wait for this to get 13. Maybe some blind Tennessee SEC steam can get me a 13 and a half and I can buy a little juice, get up to 14. But don't fret. UAB is going to be on the card. Moneyline is being heavily considered for my money line round robin for whatever video i shoot later on tonight uh but yeah i love the blazers here uh let's move on to the mountain west where we will vehemently disagree on a game uh army air force air force 16 point favorite over under 45 this line's ticked up look i don't think i've lost an army game since i went against everything i wrote about last week in my triple <laughs> option betting guide uh which was when i played michigan against army the service academies break models, and Army stinks. I've been fading them every week for the past month. This is an equalizer game for them because the clock's going to be bleeding. By the way, I'm going to be on this under as well. I'm hoping I'm trying to get 46 uh, over unders in service academies games since 2005. 33 nine and one. That's 78.6 percent against the close. That's a 52 percent ROI. It's, it's even better if you look at when it opens. Army Air Force unders. Since 2005, 9-4-1, just under 70%. They go under by a touchdown a game. I almost blindly fade service academies as double-digit favorites. And look, as mm-hmm. favorites, service academies are 114, 149, and 5 since the last 15 years. That's 43.3%. Double-digit, 
40 percent. 14 plus, 39 percent. 20 plus, 34 percent. 27 plus, 36 percent. Favorites in service academy games between two service academies, 17, 25, and 1, 40 and a half percent. Favorites over four, 14, 37 percent in service academy games. It's always been Army as a dog. Army's been a dog of, of more than 14, eight times um, in the last 15 years in a service academy game. They lost by 4, 7, 10, 14, 17, 20, 12, and 28. Basically got blown out in one game. The rest, they're right there. These two teams are obviously very familiar with each other. Um, they practice against the triple option. The clock will be bleeding. Air Force is significantly better than Army, but the option is going to equalize this game. It's going to give Army a shot. It's why Army is a straight fade as a favorite because the option is a great equalizer against teams that are in superior to you. It's what happened against Oklahoma. It's what happened against Michigan. It's what I think is going to happen here. You're going to have a, you know, uh, should have a focused Army team that's just been reeling, lost at home to San Jose. This is a team that didn't lose at home for years. Lost at home to San Jose State. They lost at, you know, at Georgia State. They lost at Western Kentucky. They lost at home to Tulane. They went 0-4 in October. Uh, you know, so now they get a chance at sitting at 3-5, and five, um, you know, for bowl eligibility. They have UMass at home next week and VMI. This is the game. This is the game that is going to make or break their season after such a disappointing year. You're going to get a, their best effort here. Uh, Air Force is significantly better offensively and defensively. Option equalizes it. Auto play for me, catching two touchdowns in a service academy game. I can't disagree with anything that you said. I guess 99% agree with everything that you said. <laughs> service academies favored by this much is is a joke because of the triple option, because of the time of possession, because of how many offensive plays that you have. Uh, there's just not that many possessions. It's like uh, watching a Missouri Valley Conference uh, tournament game in St. Louis, right? There's just not well, that and, many yeah, possessions. And you're going against another team that knows <laughs> the option, which you don't benefit from, right. which you normally do. Right. And then I'm going to throw that all out the window. I mean, I, I, I've never disagreed with you on how to handicap service academies. By the book is how everybody should handicap service academies. And the problem with all that is, is that Air Force is hot pissed about this game, really pissed off so much that they came off a blowout of Utah State. They got back to the locker room and immediately their head coach reminded them that President Trump and Jeff Munkin both had a laugh at their expense after Army, the football team, went to the nation's capital and was presented with the commander in chief's trophy last year. And Trump's comment was, you know, army uh, beat a air force team and air force is really Trump. Trump said this air force is really tough to beat. They're almost, and he turns around, he looks at Munkin. He says, they're always tough to beat, aren't they? And Munkin said flat out, not that tough. That was brought up. That whole conversation that Trump had with Jeff Munkin was brought up the second they hit the locker room from Utah state. The motivation on Air Force side, I think, can't be any higher right now. And the fact that they may be able to contribute to the fact that Army might not make a bowl. Air Force is just having peak offense right now. They're sixth in line yards. They're first in the nation in stuff rate right on the offensive side of the ball. They're getting to the line of scrimmage. They're going even farther. They're doing what they have to do to have successful plays on the ground in the offense. Army's defense, completely on the other side. Their defense is 100th in line yards. They're 97th in stuff rate. They can't stop anybody from filling the gaps. I think the Air Force offense is going to run wild in this game. And I think it's going to be a gentleman's run-up of the score. So I think this is a thing where Air Force has a clear advantage on the ground, and they are going to run Army out of the building. 
the Army stinks. I've said this before. They're on offense and defense, but and they might get blown out here. Uh, but I'm not worried about the the motivation of Army kids. They're going to be up for this game. And look, if I lose it, I'm fine with it. I I the one time I ever strayed, I got burnt, and I will not get burnt here. If I lose, I'll tip my cap to Air Force. I'll tip my cap to your Trump angle and move on <laughs> and do the same thing again in the future with service academies. Um, all right, Pac, so let's move on to the Pac-12. We already covered Utah-Washington. You know, we have Colorado-UCLA. Colorado's intriguing me. I mean, UCLA's playing really well, but Colorado with their receivers against that UCLA pass defense at seven, I think might be worth a look. You know, we have Oregon State at Arizona, which could turn into a uh, shootout. Over-unders up to 72. And then the most intriguing game, Oregon at USC. Oregon's laying four and a half points here. Yeah, Over-under 62. There's a couple I want to play USC, and I'm probably am. I'm waiting to get updates on yeah. all of their defenders, and it's so hard to get. But it looks like some of their guys are going to be back. Their linebacker, Drake Jackson, you know, guys that are going to play in the NFL. But there's a couple others. I mean, USC's been decimated by injury, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And at running back, but especially on, on the defensive side of the ball. But I, I throw out some of the results that we've seen the last couple weeks. I also think that Slovis plays a lot better at home. Young kid. He's made some mistakes on the road. But this offense is explosive, and we saw Oregon get picked apart the last couple weeks. Now, one thing maybe working in their favor is they saw a very similar offense last week in Washington State, who probably should have beat Oregon. But, you know, it benefited Utah. Remember when Utah played USC and lost, and the next week they played Washington State and basically shut them completely down. But I still think this is a few too many points. This USC offense is explosive. If they get some of their defenders back, um, I think I'm playing the Trojans. What are your thoughts on this end or anything else in the Pac-12? Yeah, and that's the reason that I I played USC early in the week. I have the number power ranked at five and a half. It was at five and a half earlier in the week, and I went ahead and take it took it. I would take it down to three and a half. Uh, and I think that's probably what's going to happen if we get the announcement of some of these defensive ends and linebackers and even the running back, Stephen Carr. I mean, that's that to me, that's big because while Oregon's defense uh, got plenty of repetition in practice against the air raid last week and they weren't able to stop it and they allowed, what, 400 yards of passing against Washington State, uh, you know, having Stephen Carr back against uh, Oregon's defense is at least something else that USC can go to. But USC gets plenty of players back on both sides of the ball that they didn't have in the Colorado game where they had to make a massive comeback. Cornerback Chris Steele is back, defensive end Christian Rector, and there's just a host of other players that are important that haven't been announced. And so Oregon, you know, they had issues against air raid once again. Something about Chris First of all, coaching teams, there's a really long history where he just has not been able to figure it out whatsoever. Now, I know Wazoo's playing better defense, but the fact that they were able to throw for that much against an Oregon team that's being considered for the college football playoff really tells me something here. But USC has top 10 passing success rate numbers, much like Wazoo, but the Trojans have a much more efficient defense against the pass. That's the difference between Wazoo and USC is USC can really play against the pass. But I'm not even sure if Herbert's going to throw that much. Because, I mean, the, Oregon has turned into a run-first team. They've turned into a bruising team. I think uh, Herbert, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's fallen off the face of the earth as far as a Heisman discussion, it'd be Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, Oregon's uh, centered around the rush, but USC's 10th and opponent red zone touchdown scoring. They're really good in the red zone on defense, and they get a lot of good players back. So, you know, I think anything over a field goal, I think you're taking USC in this game. USC, you know, they knew that they, you know, their guys were banged up, but they got through Colorado. They got through Arizona. I think if anyone's on the borderline here, they're going to bring them back this week. And they, they're important to get those guys back because without them, you can run all over USC. With Oregon's offensive line, that would have been a huge problem. But it looks like at least a few of them, if not most, are going to be back. And I think that's the difference. 
uh, with this explosive USC offense that no one really can stop. Anything in Colorado, UCLA? I mean, we've been riding UCLA for a couple of weeks now, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson was upgraded to probable. I think if there's anything going on there, I'm going to take an under. Uh, I think the number is uh, projected way too high over what I have it right now. Ten points. Yeah, I'm, Ten points more. I'm going to look at Colorado. Their defense has been playing a little better. They can force some turnovers, um, and I think that their receivers can have some success against UCLA. Remember, this is a UCLA team that we have been riding, but just a, you know three weeks ago got shredded by Oregon State at home. All right, let's move on to the SEC. We've pretty much covered everything here. Arkansas, Miss State. You have Auburn laying 19 and a half at home against Ole Miss. M-I-S and South Carolina laying 15 at home against Vanderbilt. Gross. I want no part of either. Anything there for you? <laughs> I think I actually might end up on Vanderbilt. I mean, they're playing for their lives right now. I think Mason is playing for his job and the team is playing, uh, you know, have everything to play for. And South Carolina, I mean, there just comes a point in the season where you've played the number one strength of schedule. You got screwed, completely screwed out of a win against Florida with some of the worst SEC officiating that I've ever seen in my life. And the team just has not been the same since. But uh, Vanderbilt is a team that seems to be going, uh, you know, at least motivated to play and motivated to win. So uh, Vanderbilt may be a play if I can get it up to 17. It's kind of tweening around in, in neutral land right now. You know what I'm here for? South Carolina, final game of the year, needs to win to go to a bowl against Clemson to also ruin which should be to ruin their playoff hopes because one loss, Clemson should be out. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be interesting for that rivalry. All right, uh, before we go three and out, uh, let's take a look at the Sun Belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. Uh, Troy laying one at Coastal Carolina, Arkansas State laying two at Louisiana Monroe, and oh. ULL, my favorite team, laying 22 at home against my least favorite team and your favorite team or ex-favorite team, Texas State. Anything in the belt for you? Well, I mean, with Texas State, they're 23rd in defending rush explosiveness. So that's highly important against a team like ULL. So I would look for them to take that away for them and maybe kind of focus on an under whether they're back in Texas State because they just can't seem to get out of their own way. Troy is atrocious at defending the pass. Like they're, I think, worse in the nation, right? Everybody can pass against them. They can they can have a good high success rate and be explosive. That's not Coastal Carolina's game. Uh, so it's a game I'm completely staying away in, in the Sun Belt. All right, now before we go, get out of here. Let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Uh, first down, let's talk about Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We only have one game on Friday. That's Navy-UConn. Uh, we actually disagree on this game slightly. I, I probably won't end up betting it. But the under intrigues me a little bit just because I don't know how UConn will score. Everything I look right. at, this Navy defense, it's real. And then Navy will probably score at will. But the clock at least will be running. And maybe they come out a little flat after you know a bunch of really big wins in conference at the start. And maybe there's a fumble or... You know, they settle for a couple field goals early. So I like the under a little bit, but, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm forcing it by playing it. Like, I, I'm not forcing anything tonight. You know, uh, if this game was on a Saturday, I'd just kick it to the curb. So it's probably what I'll end up doing. But you, you like the over here? Yeah, I do like the over. I project the over at 51. So, uh, you know, the 55 kind of caught my attention because it was off of the projection that I initially had. I, we all know what Navy can do. We're pro-Navy on the podcast. We know what they're doing in the trench on both sides of the ball. They've been fantastic this year. Kind of an odd spot for them. I'm not sure how much they're looking to go up and play this game, especially on a Friday night. But 
you know, I know Navy's going to be able to score. And the one thing that led me to this over, even though I projected it like 51, it's at 55. There's a couple things about this matchup in the in, in the red zone that I just could not get over what's, you know, it's it, this, this stat will blow you away. Connecticut is 130th in the nation in red zone points per attempt. They are the worst team in the nation in allowing their opponents to score touchdowns down in the red zone. Do you know who the number one touchdown scoring team is in the nation in the red zone? Navy. Every time Navy gets down opponent territory past the 40, they have the best chance in college football, the number one versus number 130 team in scoring points. So I like the over for that reason. But then I turned around and I looked and said, well, Connecticut scored 56 against UMass. I know it's UMass's defense, but I mean, they've covered in other games. Look deeper into the numbers. They're 12th in the nation in rushing explosiveness. And that's something that you could take advantage of against Navy's defense. Now they're excellent in the trench, but when a team has successful plays, Navy's kind of been mid of the pack. So I expect Connecticut to bust at least one touchdown run, maybe two. And I, every time Navy gets the ball in UConn territory, I expect a touchdown every single time. I mean, this is number one versus number 130. So I like the over in this game. By the way, we didn't mention, I don't think we mentioned the Mac. Uh, hate to break it to you guys, but Cato Nelson is playing <laughs> for Akron. And I think I have to play Akron plus six. Shoot me. Yeah, Bowling Green should not be a six-point favorite. That game should be, it's a coin flip. So it should be Bowling Green minus three at home. Um, all right, uh, let's go to second down here and talk about our favorite overdog. For those not familiar, that's our favorite favorite. Making fun of a caller that called in and said that overdogs were the opposite of underdogs. It's called the overdog parlay. Uh, Colin, who are you going with here? Air Force. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Not only am I betting Air Force, I think they're going to be the biggest win of the week. And I am going with... Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. I keep seeing people now saying this is too many points. This is too many points for Liberty to be giving on the road after losing to Rutgers. People, UMass stinks. They might be the worst team (laughs) in college football history. This team, they just gave up 60 to UConn at home. I mean, just fade this team. I'm I'm done worrying about. All right, what's the number? What's their buy? I don't know what the number is. Just just take the take whatever number you come up with and add three touchdowns, and that's the real number. Just after seeing that effort against you, you losing 56-35 at home to UConn. Uh, give me Liberty first half in game. They're worse than UConn last year. It's I think it's the worst team I've ever seen. All right, before we get out of here, third down. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Uh, underdog Moneyline Parlay, who you going with, Colin? I'm going to go with Charlotte, plus 140. Everything that I said before, I think their offense going to be able to do whatever they want. Thinking about this up until the last second, and you're going to have Charlotte on one TV, and you're going to have your hogs on the other. Arkansas. Oh, my God. You're not, uh, you can't do this. You can't go there. Are you really doing this? Chad Morris has never Chad won. Morris never won a Power not- 5 game. This is the weekend. Is you heard it here first. We're out, uh, we're out of control. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Uh, make sure to rate, review, subscribe. Also, leave a comment with a review. You'll be in the running for some gear we're going to give away. So just go rate it, leave a review, and uh, you'll be in the running. Don't forget about the voicemails this weekend. 575-655-0664. Also on my Twitter account. Scream, yell, cry, laugh. We'll catch you all Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern for our live show. And then again on Monday for our weekend recap podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.